Historically, we Americans have described our culture as a melting pot, a place where many people from unique cultures came together to create something new. We've thought about our culture as set apart. We believed that we had a special mission in the world. We've seen the incredible one plus one equals ten kind of synergy that was possible due to the contributions brought by the people and the faiths and the worldviews and problem-solving behaviors that our immigrant forefathers brought. The melting pot imagines the creation of a new culture coming out of the crucible of common American nation-building experience, as if all the waves of immigration our country has experienced served as an intense heat to create a stronger alloy. America's rich musical legacy is an example of this synergy. In earlier episodes, I've described the origins of country and jazz, blues, and rock and roll, and how these genres are excellent examples of that process. Rock, blues, jazz, gospel, and R&B came out of the African-American musical tradition, while folk and country chiefly grew out of our Western European cultural heritage. Our country started on the Atlantic coast, settled by Western Europeans, and we followed the evolution of American song through a historic filter, considering mostly the Anglo and then the African-rooted genres first. Un amor, un amor llorando, y me decía. Las palabras de Dios Llorando por ti Today we shift to consider another important cultural vein brought here by the Spanish and rising out of the American West and Southwest, as well as New York City, and obviously all of Central and South America, Cuba, and Puerto Rico. A few things have struck me as I've been putting my thoughts together for these next few episodes. Of course, the first thing is that, just like in earlier genres that we've talked about, the music we hear today has gone through a long journey of changes. Second, like jazz and the blues, the music often gives voice to the frustrations and struggles that Latin Americans have experienced while hacking out and carving out their own rightful place in an America that was, at best, indifferent to their chances for success and, at worst, doing everything that it could to send them packing. In the next two episodes, we'll explore the origins of Latin music not just in the United States, but on a wider level across most of the New World. I'm so excited to share this journey with you today. Every song has an opening, so let's start at the top. In Spain, there used to be a custom when people visited someone's home for dinner. 
Guests always bring something to contribute to the meal, and it could be fish or shrimp or rice or whatever. Arriving at the door, they'd hand over the food and say, Es paella. It's for her. And eventually the food made its way into the paella stew that was being prepared in the kitchen. Latin music is actually a lot like this. When the Spanish conquistadors and missionaries first came to the New World, they discovered a land that was home to millions of Native Americans with their own musical traditions. The Mayans and the Aztecs and the Incas, who inhabited the lands now known as Central and South America, had a rich musical tradition based on percussion and wind instruments, especially flutes. You can still hear the echoes of it in traditional Latin music, like this example. also brought the Muslim and Arabic influences in their music to the New World, like this piece from Andalusia. This is Arabic music from the Spanish region of Andalusia. It's their culture's classical music. We'll hear it across southern Spain and northern Africa, Algeria, Morocco, Tunisia, and a little bit from Libya. Torciendo las blancas manos Alzando al cielo los ojos a This piece, called Flor de un Día, is fascinating because it combines the Spanish and the Arabic and Native American influences all together. Talk about world music. In our episodes about gospel and the blues, we talked a bit about how when the African slaves were brought to America, they brought their drumming with them. In America, slave owners suppressed it, since they were afraid that the drumming could be used to communicate messages of revolt among the slaves. The Spanish also imported African slaves to the lands that they were colonizing, but in this case, it was not suppressed.
Africans provided the single most recognizable element in Latin music, and in time, their influence gave rise to genres like samba, salsa, merengue, bachata, and timba. One thing that I find so interesting is that despite the massive differences in culture, Western African and European music actually blended really easily together because they had similar scale systems and harmonies. The African influences are strongest in Cuba and Puerto Rico, Haiti, Brazil, and the small countries of Northeast South America. Afro-Cuban rumba, Brazilian samba, Jamaican reggae and the Colombian cumbia music are secular forms. The Spanish missionaries basically bolted Catholicism onto the native African and American belief systems, and in these countries you'll find religions like Yoruban, Macumba, Candoble, Santeria, and Volum, where African-originated drumming and dance are important to worship. There are large communities that practice these religions in Brazil, Cuba, Puerto Rico and Haiti, as well as in New York City, L.A., Miami, and other American cities where we have large Latin populations. The Native Americans also made music an everyday part of their lives, especially in the ceremonial and functional aspects. Song, dance, and playing instruments were used to ensure a good harvest and seek protection from their gods against natural disasters, to assure fertility of land and people, heal sicknesses, to generate success in war and hunting, to mark life's passages, to maintain tradition, and in some cases to provide some recreation too. The Mayans and the Incas actually had what we would call orchestras of wind and percussion instruments, and there is some research to support the idea that at the height of each of these cultures, music was at least as advanced as what was found in Europe and in Asia. Their instruments were formed from locally available materials like hollow reeds and clay for flutes, hardwood trees, and animal skin for drums gourds and seeds for rattles, and seashells for trumpets. Everyone used voices for singing and chanting. As any California grade school student can tell you, the Spanish presence in North America started in the early 1500s, and like they had done in Central and South America, the Spanish sent missionaries to pacify the natives there. The first mission was built in San Diego, 
using basically Native American slave labor, European church music, mostly Gregorian chant, or what we call plain song, was on California's top 20 list every week. These missions had libraries that were used to educate the Native Americans and provide training in manual labor. And these libraries collected European instruments, which they taught the Native Americans to play. strings, like violins and violoncellos and contrabass, woodwinds, so piccolos and flutes, oboes and clarinets, brass, trumpets and French horns and things, and percussion instruments. A few diaries from early mission visitors talk about the quality of the music that could be heard in these places. So starting in the 1760s, the Spanish king Carlos III saw that he could block Russian expansion into the New World. And he did so by establishing a trail of missions that were spaced along the California coast and were all about one day's walk away from each other. And they began to expand all the way up the coast, and the mission music expanded with it. But it wasn't all church music and masses either. Irish, French, and even English secular songs also played important parts in daily mission life. There were dance tunes, and folk songs that the Spanish taught the Native Americans, and again, based on early travelers' diaries that we have found or have been maintained. We even have stories about Indians performing the Marseille and other non-Spanish patriotic and secular songs. Native Americans regularly played for the many fiestas in the towns that sprang up around the presidios, another word for fort, and missions. In 19th century California, Most people had a degree of musical training. It was the rule and not the exception. Mostly people were taught at home by other family members. In California, the Spaniards and the Mexicans performed folk music on reed organs and small pianos and guitars during fiestas and weddings. Charles Loomis, a West Coast version of Adam Lomax, we've talked about Lomax in earlier episodes, assembled a large library of field recordings on wax cylinders in the first decades of the 20th century. Here's an example. Loomis, along with a number of other very prominent Southern Californians, formed the Southwestern Society of the Archaeological Institute of America. These organizations were committed to educating people about America's archaeology, history, and our native people. And being one of the first audiophiles in history, in 1903, Loomis successfully applied to get some grant money from the government to record Southwestern Native American music. 
So between 1904 and 1905, Loomis recorded at least 300 different Spanish-language songs and another 160 Native American cylinders. A large collection of these cylinders is still housed in two locations around L.A., the Braun Research Library, the Southwest Museum, and El Elisal in the Highland Park area of L.A. Besides spearheading the grant, Loomis also served as recording engineer, and he contracted several composers to actually transcribe the recordings. One of the precursors to Latin American popular music was the corrido. That's a native Mexican folk song. Historically, the corrido was the main informational and educational outlet. There were corridos about bandits, for instance, like Corrido de Leandro Rivera, who went on wild, wild west crime sprees back in the days when Texas was still a republic. There were political songs like Corrido de las Elecciones de Brownsville that told the story about how an outlaw was lynched. Corridos gave rise to other forms of music, such as Tejano, which is literally Texas music, which combined the waltzes and the polkas that German and Polish immigrants were bringing into the country with them. And as they migrated uh, into North America and Spanish language songs that originated south of the border and were passed down through generations of Mexicans. The singer Lidia Mendoza was the first interpreter of rural popular Tejano and border music to become a star through her many recordings. Mendoza lived between 1916 and 2007. And then the Grammy Award-winning Tejano singer Selena Quintanilla Perez, who lived between 71 and 1995 and was best known as Selena, achieved international fame at the time of her murder in April 1995. So every corrido has five identifying elements. The title, the introduction of the main characters, a narration of what happens in the corrido, the overall purpose or message of the corrido, and then finally a farewell or a transition out of the corrido. These are basically three chord songs with basic melodies and a rhythmic way that the lyrics fit the music. Um, these three things provide a musical context that allows singers of corridos to interpret them in a whole bunch of different ways. A pretty wide approach to how singers and musicians interpret these songs. In, in one example, the Corrida del Bracero, 
The lyrics go like this, and I'll give you both the English and the Spanish. Allá en Matamoros cruce la frontera. I cross the border there in Matamoros. Por falta del modo cruce ilegal. For lack of any other means, I crossed illegally. Senores, les cuento como ando sufriendo. Gentlemen, I'm going to tell you how I was suffering. Que me han dado ganas de volver patras. How they are making me want to go on back. Corridos became a form that allowed the Mexican people to document the memories of significant persons and events. After the Mexican and American War, the U.S. annexed land that was previously part of Mexico, including Texas, California, Nevada, Utah, and Arizona, Colorado, and New Mexico. This period was ideal for birthing an expressive culture that drew inspiration from the conflict and the tensions around. The lyrics of Gorilla served as a literature of the Mexican people, a lot like some popular songs still do. These songs had a really high value in Mexican culture, but they were ignored by the powers that be because the values and the sentiments that were being expressed in those songs were contrary to the way the majority culture wanted things. The songs spread organically. They were carried to different cities and regions by traveling troubadours. One example of another corrido is Lava Platos, and it's about the adventures of a poor Mexican who comes to the U.S. in search of a glamorous life in Hollywood, but eventually is disappointed. And the lyrics, again, Spanish and English go, Sonaba en mi juventud ser una estrella. I dreamed in my youth of being a movie star. Le cine y un día de tantos me vine, and one of those days I came to, a visitor Hollywood, to visit Hollywood. Un día muy desesperado por tanta revolución, one day very desperate because of so much revolution, me pasé para este lado. I came over to this side, sin pagar la inmigración, without paying immigration. Ocarida then states that he had dreams of being a movie star, which motivated his decision to leave Mexico for a life of supposed glamour in the United States. The Corridista of Lava Platos works in a warehouse as an agricultural worker and lastly as a dishwasher. His work history was similar to those of many recently arrived Mexican immigrants who were immediately confined to work intensive and low-paying jobs in the U.S. Adios sueños de mi vida. Goodbye, dreams of my life. Adios estrellas del cine. Goodbye, movie stars. Vuelvo a mi patria querida. I return to my beloved country. Más pobre de lo que vine. Poorer than when I arrived. Ay, que trabajo tan mal pagado por andar arrodillado. Que no era maje, se siguió dándole guerra. 
y al completar su pasaje se devolvió pa' su tierra y yo que cualquier bicoca y me fui pa' Sacramento cuando no quedó ni toca tuve que entrarle al cemento ¡Ay, qué tormento! ¡Ay, qué tormento! ¡Es el pesado cemento! Time takes a cigarette Puts it in your mouth You pull on your finger And another finger Then your cigarette The water wall is calling It lingers Then you forget Ho, 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 ho You're a rock and roll suicide Contemporary heir to the corrido tradicional is Elvis, an old-school punk rocker and Mexican-American Elvis impersonator, get it, Elvis, who takes classic Elvis songs and turns them into revolutionary political music. A better land where all my brothers want hands in hand. Tell me why, tell me why, tell me why won't my dream come true? There must be peace and understanding sometimes Strong words of courage that will blow away the doubt And here, if I can dream of a warmer sun Whoa, keep shining on everyone Tell me why, tell me why, tell me why Won't that sun shine We'll return to this topic about corridos in our next episode. But if you're enjoying taking a look at a side of American music that hasn't had as much exposure, I think you're going to love the next few episodes. Looking ahead, we'll look at some of the ways this music has been used to unite people around important causes. We'll hear music from different regions, and we'll see how it's all come together to be a major force in American culture today. If you're interested in learning more about the topics discussed, come on back to my Facebook page at americansongpodcast.facebook.com for a complete set of links to all the sources that I used in today's research. I've been your host, Joe Hines, and I'll see you back here again soon. I can walk 